Good morning, church. Kids are already being dismissed to kids' praise, so that's great. I am Kelly Morrow. I am the Director of Student Ministries here, and it is truly a joy and an honor to bring God's Word to all of you here today. And of course, this is the prime opportunity for me to brag about our students here this morning. It does my heart such good to see them all leading and serving in worship. Have you ever been so passionate about something that you just have to share it with everyone? I know that I am right where I'm supposed to be, right where God has called me to, because I have this excitement and this joy that I get to share in all these amazing moments like this morning with these students here at Countryside. The joy I have when I come home from a mission trip, especially when I come home with the same amount of students and leaders that I left with, And you can laugh, but I've heard stories. Or when I get to mentor students as they wrestle through tough questions about their faith and see them mature in their relationship with the Lord. Or the very best, when I get to witness those moments when God is putting a call on a student's life for ministry. I love when other adults come to me and say that God is nudging them to love and serve this next generation. Those moments are so impactful to me that I can't contain it. I can't wait to tell everyone all the ways that God is on the move in the lives and the hearts of our students. And when I think about the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Romans that we have been covering, I think of this excitement and this passion that he has to share this transforming good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it has changed his own life, and how it can change each and every one of us who choose to believe and follow the Lord. And of course, in Paul's all-in approach to everything he does, he leaves not one single detail out in any of his books, in any of his letters. I think of the determination that Paul had to spread the good news, the strength the courage, the boldness, and the reliance on the Lord that it took for Paul to speak this message that he had been given, not to mention the extreme persecution that he faced in doing so. If this is your first time here this morning, we're so glad you're joining us. We have been hanging out in the book of Romans, and today we will pick up in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, written by the Apostle Paul for the church at Rome. Paul is working to unite the church and continue his mission and his ministry further west. And Pastor John has led us through the first four chapters as Paul has in detail called all of humanity to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We have been talking about these rich Old Testament concepts of justification and righteousness. Paul has identified that all nations are trapped in sin and idolatry, Israel, the chosen people of God, as well as the Gentiles. Paul is bringing this message of good news in great detail that Jesus has died for our sins, that we have been justified, the price has been paid through Christ, and that we have been declared righteous before God when we trust and believe that Jesus' death and resurrection is for us. Paul has declared that none are righteous on their own account, that none are sinless, that there is no amount of good works or just being a good enough person that can achieve this righteousness. This is a gift of grace through faith that has been manifested to us 
through Christ, and we are all blessed to be a part of the family of Abraham, Jews and Gentiles alike. And because of this, we have this new reality for our future. If you have your Bibles with me or your app, you can join along on the screen. We're going to start in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When something big happens in our life, we expect that things will change, that something will be different. When we graduate from college, we have an expectation that we will get a good job that comes with security from a regular paycheck, from health insurance, from a retirement match, all these things that can enhance and make our life better. Because we have been justified by this expression in God's love through faith and of the Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are reconciled, brought back to a perfect union with God, and because of that, we expect a new result for our life. As we open the chapter, the very first word we read is therefore. Therefore, because of demanding a result of this justification, and this result is peace. Peace in Greek is irene, and Paul, growing up in a good Hebrew home, would understand it to mean shalom. Shalom, this peace, this absence of conflict, a place of security, of calmness, this state of perfect harmony and also perfect freedom. This perfect place of peace that we are restored back to a right relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I would assume, since there are some ladies in the house, some of you are like me and watch maybe some HGTV from time to time, where these very talented people buy these rundown homes that have been left to deteriorate, to wither away. Things have been changed and redone so much over the years that it just doesn't make sense. But they have a vision they have a vision to restore this, this house back to its original design. They know just the right colors, the right textiles. They will start by taking out the things that don't work, and they will repair what can be fixed. 
Many times they'll try to use the original fixtures of this home to bring it back to how it was designed to look and to function. They go through a process called restoration. And when we think of biblical peace, we need to think in terms of restoration. To be restored, to be brought back to how God has designed it. This is a restoration of our place and our standing with God that we can experience Him personally in every detail, each day, knowing and acknowledging that we all fall short of the glory of God, and at the same time, knowing that we will never be separated from Him. If we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over all the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. When we talk about being restored, this is the ultimate place of peace that we are being brought back to, that we are being restored back to. The very beginning, before there was a serpent in the garden, before Adam and Eve were deceived, and before sin entered this world, this place of shalom. People were created in the image of God, blessed and commissioned to fill the earth, to rule over In other translations, it may read to have dominion over. The thought of ruling over or dominion in this text in which it was written has a much different concept than what we think about today when we hear this word. Today, we would generally think of this as something that feels more negative, something of a power structure, something to be controlled. This is not the same meaning as it was in the beginning. The earth that God created was meant to be cared for by people, to work in harmony together, to be blessed, to flourish. This peace that we are to understand is the restoration of how our world was designed to be, to live in harmony, to be in perfect unity with God without the deception of the fall. And we are invited back to this peace with this unity, this place of restoration when We are assured that our sins have been forgiven, our guilt and shame removed because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is not not only the means of our salvation, but the Lord of our life as well. We can only experience this peace, this shalom that Paul is talking about through Jesus. We have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. If we recall back in Romans to chapter 3, verse 27, and chapter 4, verse 2, we are instructed there by Paul not to boast, not to brag, not to build up, because the reconciliation with God is not by the works of the law, that we cannot take credit in what we have done. Paul is reminding the religious people, the Pharisees, who did everything they could to follow the law in order to be perfect believing that perfection is the only way that God will restore them. Paul is telling them, do not boast, because this is something that we cannot accomplish through what we do. It is only by the grace that we are freely given, given to us before we even knew we needed it. This is not the result of anything we can do or earn, but what has been done for us. We now have this peace and this sure hope 
for the future, that we get to share in God's glory and that we can delight in the work that he has done. And we can enter into this place in our lives when we are aware of this work that God is doing in us and all around us, and we can experience the shalom that was intended right here and right now. When we walk in the ways of the wise, that are wise in the, way, in the eyes of the Lord and not in the ways of this world, the ways that this world standard would claim as foolish, we do it all for the glory of God. And we are, in fact, his glory, and there is much more to be done. This glory, the splendor of God, the praise, the wonder, the experience in God's creation, it is the most beautiful time of year. We get to experience all the changing, vibrant colors, the crunch of the fall leaves under our feet, the warm, sun-filled days, and the cool fall nights. Our senses come to life when we realize the amazement in the present state of peace, of shalom, experience God in the simplest of things, knowing the fullness of God's glory is yet to come and we have so much more to experience. Matthew 24 verse 14 tells us, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. This restoration that we are being brought back to comes through the spreading of the word through the sorry comes through the spreading of the gospel message and the faith that it brings us to in God's grace. When we love those who the world would perceive as enemies to us, when we stand with those who have no voice, who are oppressed, when we generously share the gifts that God has entrusted us to, our money, our time, our talents, to partner with those who are in need of that empowerment, those things that will empower them. Just like the tiny homes that we heard about being built in our communities last week. Such a simple thing, yet can change everything for someone in need. In these ways, we are bringing glory to God and we share this hope that we have. And we may share in it, But none of this can be compared to the gift that has been given so freely to us. As Paul is leading Rome through this new way of living, this new profound peace and hope, this joy of salvation would not come without resistance. And yet he tells us that in this suffering we bring glory to God and that we too will have much to gain from it. We are not talking about our everyday sufferings in this particular passage. He is talking about the suffering that we will experience in this world for being followers of Christ. A suffering that Paul is very, very familiar to and has come to expect. We are given a purpose and encouragement to prepare us for what we will endure. The culture in Rome that Paul is writing to expected suffering, and this was something what normal for a Christian. Paul himself, if you've read through his letters, has endured and experienced it all. He was beaten, attacked, imprisoned, starved, betrayed by friends, all to serve the one thing that before his conversion on the road to Damascus, he sought out to destroy Christianity. We are reminded in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 that says, In all 
This you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. For this we have a living hope of what is to come. It is experienced when we can continue to praise God, to witness his faithfulness in the most difficult of times. This past year for many has been filled with great loss, much death. And in those times when we can see God at work, through the words of the families, of the friends that love us and surround us when we go through those difficult times, through a meal being brought to our home when we are struggling or somebody just merely sitting with us. That is the glory of God being worked out. That is the faithfulness of God working through those who love him to remind us of the hope that we have beyond the struggles of this world. Paul was literally killing Christians And he was converted, and he goes to work for the Lord. I can imagine that he was up what he was up against, and how people must have perceived this conversion. I'm guessing that it came with some questions and doubts from those who witnessed this. You may have experienced this in your own life. While you are maturing in your faith, you stop participating in behaviors that you were once part of, and you're possibly treated a little different because of that, maybe ridiculed or even just avoided. And better yet, how do we respond when people, to people that disappoint us when they struggle with making the right choices and find themselves in chaos? Do we show them grace that, that we have experienced and share that with them? Or do we offer them a helping hand for those who can't help themselves? Do we act like the Pharisee? Where do we find ourselves in that equation? When we begin to let God mold our heart and let our responses be different than what this world expects, we are going to shake things up a bit. And I would guess that in many circumstances, this will be met with resistance. Through these trials we face, when we keep our focus on the promises of God, when we do things His way, knowing we are secure with him for eternity, that we are not seeking the approval of people no matter what we face in this world. It gives us the strength to endure and to bring glory to God. We can persevere through the pressure that refines us, that helps us to remove the impurities of our human nature, that we would be molded into the image of Christ. We are empowered by Christ to be transformed to the character of God with the fear of shame. God has, without the fear of shame, God has set us free and we are each called to live in freedom. There is no shame in this hope we have found because of the love of God that has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that in Romans chapter 1 verse 4 declares Jesus as the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And if you have noticed, there's a little bit of a shift in the language as we move in through chapter 5 of Romans. We've been hearing this legal language all through, um, and now we begin to hear this more relational side that Paul is speaking into. And this is the first time in the book of Romans we get to hear about Paul speaking of love. Finally, Paul, 
finally. (laughs) This love that he talks about, this is not our love to God, but God's love to us as believers. A love that is assured, a love that is constant, a love that is eternal and immeasurable. This love that is rooted in the love that the Father has for the Son. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It doesn't say that we are bad in our sins. It says we are dead. Not a physical death, but a spiritual death. This separation from the goodness of God, separated from the peace, the shalom of God. Before we accept Christ, we are spiritually dead. We are apart from the glory of God. He did not send his son into this world to make bad people into good people. He sent his son into this world to make dead people alive. We will struggle with sin. We will struggle with disobedience on this side of heaven. But we are no longer dead. We are alive in Christ. This is not only our inheritance, but it is our identity. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation for our sin. We have this hope of God's love given to us through his son. While we are still weak, unable to help ourselves, unable to break free from these chains that bind us, when we are so caught up in our pride and our greed and our selfish desires, our grumbling, our complaining, our demanding of our own rights, God loves us sinners and gives us his son to restore us back to him. In Christ, we are deeply loved, forgiven, and we have a security In Christ, we are reconciled, we are redeemed and justified and chosen. In Christ, we can experience this peace, this shalom that God always intended for us. And in this, Paul speaks, of course, the most famous verse in the Bible, just in a different different way, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's love is so big that while we are still sinners, while we are chasing after the empty promises of this world, more money, new, new cars, bigger houses, promotions, a better status, While we are chasing after the temporary satisfactions of this world that are fading, God is chasing after us. He is inviting us to be restored that we can experience this peace. He sent his son while we were enemies, while our focus is on everything else but him. He sent his son. He sent his son for every one of us that while we were sinners— How much more will he keep reconciling us to him when we are righteous in his sight? We have the freedom to walk in peace, that peace, that shalom every day with our creator, to see the wonders of God all around us and all the ways that his glory is being brought here on earth. Our Lord and Savior in the assurance that God is with us now and forever. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I do just thank you for this message from Paul. 
God, I thank you for his boldness in proclaiming your gospel message. That even though the darkness of his past may have followed him, God, he was assured that you were with him and he walked in that every single day. So Lord, give us that same boldness, that same strength, that could we could be a Paul in our own world, God, obnoxiously sharing the gospel, the, Lord, um, the work that you have done for us, God, and reminded that it is not our good works, it is not all the ways we try, God, but what you have done for us to reconcile us, a broken people, back to you. We thank you and we love you. We give you all the praise and glory. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.